So, on that note, if you have your Bibles, I would invite you to open them with me and turn to the book of Acts, chapter 2. We have been in the book of Acts for the last few weeks, um, stepping through this incredible book, which is, is how the church began. It's, it's our story, uh, our, our history here, and... Um, We've covered Acts chapter 1, and we've, we went through that amazing passage in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost, when God poured out the Holy Spirit upon the people who heard the gospel for the first time, were cut to the heart, and repented, surrendered in faith to Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins, and then they were baptized, 3,000 of them. In the name of Jesus. How amazing is that? Uh, so, that is what, what uh, has happened, and now we're going to pick things up at verse 42 of Acts chapter 2. And I, I believe I, yes, thank you. I have this on uh, the PowerPoint as well here, uh, so you can follow along. I'm reading from the NIV 84 version, which is in your in the, the place in the pews in front of you. If you have one of those Bibles, you can follow along there too. Here's what we read, beginning at verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word today. Oh, this is is amazing. Uh, I love the book of Acts. You're going to hear that a lot over these next few weeks. We are going through the entire book of Acts, okay? We're not going to miss, miss a verse. We're, we're stepping through it uh, one verse at a time. And, and today, this is, this is our focus on these critical verses here. Um, I, I think it's important before we go any further just, just, to, just to remember the significance of, of what has just happened that I just briefly outlined before this. Because the church went from 120 people 120 believers in Jesus to 3,000 in one day. I'm not good at math, okay? But apparently, I, I Googled this. That is uh, 2,400% growth. Is that right? Is, does that sound right? I mean, is Google right? Uh, 2,400%. I mean, that, that is a huge, like the church exploded in one day because... People, God's people, were filled with the Holy Spirit. He poured out his Holy Spirit. They were baptized. They, they heard the good news of Jesus, and, and their lives were changed forever. You see, the church that was born that day, the church was God's plan. This is how he would carry on his work and carry out the Great Commission. It was through his people. People filled with his spirit, carrying out his will. 
that is the way that, that he designed this to take place, the spread of the gospel throughout the entire world. I often wonder what happened the day after Pentecost, though. Because Pentecost would have been just such a, such a mountaintop experience, right, for these believers. They had, they had their lives changed, and many of them had come from different parts of the world to Jerusalem. They had heard the good news for the first time, the good news of Jesus Christ. They recognized that he... Jesus Christ was, was the Messiah, the Son of God that the Old Testament talked about. It was him. That's what Peter preached. So now, the next day, the day after Pentecost, you, you got to try to put yourself in the shoes of those people who had just repented and been baptized the next day, and now that they've been given this whole new life, this new purpose, this new call. What would they have done? Where, where do you start? I'm a Christian now. I'm, I'm a follower of Jesus now. So what do I do next? I've been baptized, did that. Okay, well, on the day of Pentecost, they, they asked the disciples, they asked Peter and the apostles in verse 37, brothers, what should we do? And the response, repent and be baptized. So I think on the day, the day after Pentecost, the question was probably very similar. Brothers, what should we do now? Well, okay, what's next for us, right? And uh, we discover that answer in our passage today, in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47, where we find four things, four foundational practices not just that, that these early Christians, the, the first church, not just that they did, but that they devoted themselves to doing. So often, I think in the church, right, we, we talk about a few things. We talk about the importance of the great or greatest commandment, which is what? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, as Jesus taught us. So important, right? That's, we should be doing that as a church, as, as individual followers of Jesus. We talk about the Great Commission, don't we? Uh, go into all the world, right? Preach the gospel to all creation, right? Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, as Jesus commissioned the apostles to do in Matthew 28. Very important for us as a church. And yet, so often, you know what we miss? We miss what, uh, what I'm going to call the, the great commitments of the church, of the early church. That there, there are four things that the early church committed to doing. And, uh, and I'm going to suggest something. I'm going to suggest that these weren't just commitments for the early church. These should be the core commitments of every church. Every church, if, if we want to be a healthy, functioning, Holy Spirit-filled body of Christ, we have to commit ourselves to doing what we see here, to being devoted just as the early church was to these four practices. Um, because if we aren't, if we miss this, we've got a big problem. <laughs> um, I believe this early church, this, this was really the church in its purest, simplest form, this side of heaven, right? That, that first day. Those first, those first weeks, what we read in, in this passage is amazing. 
how this church lived. It wasn't just their diet and exercise routine, as much as there's truth to that spiritually. This was their lifestyle. What we read here in, in verses 42 to 47, it begins with these four principles in verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. This is how they lived. Uh, who likes to exercise? Six, four, five, five people. Oh, thank you. That's, yeah. Who doesn't like to exercise but knows they should? That's all of us, right? Okay, uh, who, who has a really healthy, and I need you to be proud about this, a really healthy diet here? Who thinks that you follow my diet and you will be a healthy person? Gord. I, he, it was little, but I saw it. Okay, talk to Gord after. We need to... We need to figure out how to do this. It's important, right? At, in order to maintain a healthy body, you need, you need a good diet, a balanced diet, and you need to exercise regularly. So the doctors tell us, right? That's important. Same thing is true as the body of Christ. Diet and exercise. And we see what the diet and exercise lifestyle of the early church is right here in verse 42. It began with devotion or commitment to the apostles' teaching. I'm going to bold that for us. That's point number one. This was the very first thing. First and foremost, their diet, the diet of the early church spiritually, was the apostles' teaching. That's what they took in. That was the food for their souls. I want you to think about this for a second. Um, again, they would probably have asked Peter and the other apostles the day after, what do we do now? Because as a new follower of Jesus Christ, the day after Pentecost, what, what would you do? Where would you learn how to be a follower of Jesus? This is brand new to you. You know who you would follow? You would follow the apostles. You would follow the apostles who lived with Jesus, who, who studied under Jesus, who followed Jesus, who heard everything that Jesus had said and done, who had seen his miracles, who had witnessed the resurrected Christ themselves. You would follow them. Because here's the thing we often forget. They, they didn't have the incredible divine resource that we do of God's written word in compact form. They didn't have this. The New Testament was literally being lived out. It would later be written down, praise the Lord. That is how we continue to learn and, and learn the teaching of the apostles right here. However, at this time, they didn't have that. So if you're going to learn how to be a follower of Jesus, you got to follow the followers of Jesus. Go where they go. This was radical because people had come from all over the known world at the time. And okay, now I'm a follower of Jesus. So that means if I'm going to continue to follow Jesus and learn what it means to be a follower of Christ in this world, I can't go back home. Because this is where the apostles are. I, I got to camp out here now. I'm going to live here now. I'm going to follow this new way of life that Jesus has called me to. Um. 
So that, that is what happened here. Uh, but I just want to point something else out here. Up until this point, even though the apostles were the guys who, who Jesus had commissioned to, to preach the gospel to the entire world, to teach people to obey everything that Jesus had commanded them, at this point, up until Pentecost, they were powerless to do that. They knew a lot. They could remember a lot. But they were not yet filled with the Holy Spirit. Okay, so, so even though they had kind of the knowledge, uh, they'd been commissioned, he'd told them to go, this is what you're going to go do, they, they did not yet have the power to actually do it. Just a few weeks earlier, Jesus told his disciples that he would be leaving them, but he assured them that it was for their good that he was going away. Because he said, unless I go away, the counselor, the advocate, the helper, the Holy Spirit will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you, okay? And Jesus called the, the helper, the, the comforter, the, the Holy Spirit, he called him the spirit of truth. In John 14, 17, Jesus said, the spirit of truth lives with you and he will be in you. See, where Jesus walked alongside the disciples, the Holy Spirit would live inside of them and what would he do? Verse 26 of, of John 14, he will teach you all things and will remind you of what? Everything that I have said to you. Do you know what this means? When the apostles were filled with the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, they now had the ability to remember absolutely everything that Jesus had ever said or done. Everything that they would need to teach, to impart to the church was given to them through the person of the Holy Spirit. How amazing is that? Because again, they didn't have this, but they had God. They had the Holy Spirit filling them, teaching them, leading them into the truth, just as we saw on the day of Pentecost. How did Peter preach? He preached from the Word of God. He preached from the Old Testament. And what did he do? He pointed people to Jesus Christ through the Old Testament. He showed how it all pointed to Jesus. All of the Old Testament prophecy was fulfilled in him. Why do I say all this? Because... It is clear, not just based on Peter's sermon in Acts 2, but throughout the rest of the book of Acts, it is clear that the apostles taught everyone about Jesus from the scriptures as the Holy Spirit enlightened them. They explained how the Old Testament prophecy had all pointed to him. Remember PowerPoint? That's what the Holy Spirit does. He points to Jesus Christ. The point being the very first church, the early church, the primary activity that they were most devoted to was the study of God's word, was the teaching of Jesus, because that's what the apostles taught. Everything that he said, all of his ministry, all of his miracles, all of his commandments, everything, they were able to teach perfectly without error because they were filled with the Holy Spirit. As God's people, my friends, I think I mentioned this uh, three weeks ago, in order to keep filled with God's spirit, we must keep fed by God's word. Where Christians are not committed to studying God's word, they will become like the world in their thinking, in their reasoning, in, in their acting, in what they do and how they live. 
we are called as the church, as followers of Jesus Christ, to be renewed, have our minds renewed through the word of truth. If the church does not stand up and stand firm on the foundation of God's word, they will grow soft, they will sit down, and eventually they will fall over and be swept away by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming, as we read in Ephesians 4.14. My friends, the early church were devoted first and foremost to the apostles' teaching, a steady diet of God's word. And if we're going to be a healthy, faithful, spirit-filled church, and that is, that is what we're here to be, we must do the same, personally and corporately. I think when Jesus was tempted by Satan in the wilderness to turn the stones into bread, do you remember what he did? He quoted God's word. He quoted Deuteronomy 8.3. Man shall not live by bread alone, right? But by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. If that's how Jesus lived, if that's what sustained him, how much more do we need to rely on the word of God to sustain us, to feed our souls? Um, John in Revelation sees Jesus with this sword coming out of his mouth, this striking image that one day will happen, right? Jesus returning this sword, the sword of God's word, razor sharp, coming out of his mouth, the word of truth, the word of God. Paul calls the, the sword of the spirit, right? The word of God is the sword of the spirit, the Holy Spirit. It's, it's the truth. It cuts the enemy's lies in half and it cuts to our hearts, judging our thoughts and attitudes all scriptures God breathed, it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training, right? There's that discipleship word, training in righteousness so that the person of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. God has given us everything that we need right here. It all starts right here. I know I'm preaching to the choir here, but this is so important because, my friends, tragically, it's the failure to uphold this first commitment that has led to the demise of so many churches today. They're no longer devoted to preaching, teaching, faithfully interpreting, and expositing the word of God. The primary purpose, the primary expectation, desire, and commitment of every follower of Jesus, my friends, should be to listen to and learn from God's perfect word. And then do what it says by the power of the Holy Spirit. So I guess my question for us and for you, are we committed first and foremost to the apostles' teaching as recorded in God's word? Now, being filled with the Holy Spirit, the apostles weren't just empowered to teach and preach. That was, that was the focus of it, but they were also empowered to do some amazing things, some, some miracles. We see this in, in the next verse, verse 43. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. We're going to read all about these wonders and signs in, in the coming weeks. This is such an amazing book. We're going to see these things all laid out for us, these amazing works that God did by the power of the Holy Spirit through the apostles. Um, <clears throat> Now, I just want to say something about this. I, I, I don't want to rest on this point long, but 
God can perform a miracle any way at any time he chooses. Full stop. I believe that. Um, However, (laughs) it's important to recognize the unique miracle working ministry of the apostles. It was very different. Um, Because their ministry, God validated their ministry. He confirmed their call through that miracle working ministry that he empowered them to do. And all of it always backed up the message of the gospel. Every miracle. It wasn't just for fun. It wasn't just to get people's attention. It, it always backed up the message of the gospel. It always was used ultimately to point people to the good news of Jesus Christ. And we're going to see that in just a couple weeks' time in Acts chapter 3. <clears throat> It's important uh, to just to recognize that. Um, I think whenever we see so-called miracles today, according to what we read in Scripture, it, it should always ultimately give the glory to Jesus Christ and draw people to him. If it doesn't, we have every right to question where that miracle is coming from and the power behind it. Coming back to verse 42, we've seen the first great commitment and diet of the early church, which is the apostles' teaching. Now we come to the second commitment, which is its exercise regimen that starts with this. They devoted themselves to the fellowship. The fellowship. This is a rich Greek word. You've probably heard it. There's a church in our area with this word, koinonia. Koinonia. It means participation. It means sharing with, having in common with, sharing life together, which before we go any further, we have to acknowledge where this comes from. It comes from God. It flows out of our fellowship with God the Father through faith in Jesus, his Son, as we are filled with his Holy Spirit. There's the Trinity, right? 1 John 1.3, John writes, We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you may also have fellowship, same word, koinonia, so that you may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. It is only out of our common fellowship with God the Father through faith in Jesus that we can have fellowship together. Okay? Um, Here's what that means. It means that if we are in proper fellowship with Jesus then we will be in proper fellowship with each other in the church. If we're not, we won't be. In verse 44, Luke describes what this fellowship looked like in the early church. Verses 44 and 45, here's what it says. All the believers were together, and they had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. This is radical generosity. That's how this koinonia played out. Radical generosity. Do you know why? Because there was radical need in the church. Mentioned earlier, believers, 3,000 believers all of a sudden. People who had left everything to now follow Jesus. Meaning they left their livelihood. They left their home. They didn't bring enough changes of clothes for the next rest of their life. <laughs> how, how are they going to be looked after? How are they going to be fed? How are they going to be housed and clothed? Believers, the church, brothers and sisters in Christ, who recognized the need. They had been changed, right? 
When they received the gift of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, when they repented and, and turned to faith to Jesus, they were changed. The Holy Spirit now indwelt them. They weren't commanded to do this. They were compelled to by the power of the Holy Spirit. This radical generosity in response to this radical need, but it came from a radically changed heart full of the Holy Spirit. This is uh, love in action here. Um, I love this, this phrase. It says they had everything in common. I think about us today, you know, we, we stress a lot of, about diversity these days, don't we? And I, I want to be careful with that word. Yes, they were all different. They were coming from different places, different lifestyles, but they had everything in common. I think they understood what we read in Philippians 3.8. You know what Paul wrote? You know how he regarded Christ? He said this, What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. I consider them garbage, rubbish, that I may gain Christ. I believe that was true of the early church. They completely relied on Jesus. They had nothing else. They left everything literally to follow him. So I think they could say with the Apostle Paul, yeah, for me to live is Christ, right? To die is gain. I consider everything a loss compared to knowing Jesus. Let me ask you this. If that is true of us as followers of Christ, if Christ is everything to me and he is everything to you, what do we have in common? Everything, right? And, and we will not hesitate to give up anything The the stuff we have, which doesn't compare, can't compare, will never compare to knowing Christ. We won't hesitate to give that up to help our brother or sister in need. If we see a need, we will meet it because we've been given everything. We have Jesus. We have the gift of the Holy Spirit in us. We lack nothing, even when times are tough. Our God provides, and you know how he often provides? Through his people. May that be so of us. The early church lived out this koinonia, notice, every day. Every day, verse 46, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. Uh, Because why? Because the temple courts were big. There was 3,000, right? Or upwards of that number, depending on if some did leave. But there, there there was a big group of Christians here. They needed a big space to meet in, to gather for worship. But notice it wasn't just the large group church services at the temple. The church met in smaller groups too. Verse 46 goes on to say, they broke bread in their homes and ate together. This is pretty, pretty important here because people's homes provided opportunities for more informal, personal gatherings of believers in smaller groups. You know, as churches today, we, we tend to either kind of be really strong with our corporate worship or perhaps more stronger in our small group ministry. Uh, I don't know. I think what we see here is the early church kind of had a good handle on both. They were devoted to both of these things. They recognized the importance of both of these things. The author of Hebrews writes, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. And sadly, through COVID, many are still in the habit of doing that. But let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. 
Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. The early church understood this. They relied on each other. That koinonia meant doing life, sharing life together in every way. Now, I just want to say this. I know there are some of our brothers and sisters in Christ who are physically unable to be here with us, and and we miss you. Look at the cameras. Uh, We pray for you regularly. But the rule is basically this. As followers of Christ, if we are not committed to the fellowship of the church, it's a warning sign that we may not be in proper fellowship with Jesus. This brings us to the third commitment of the early church. It says they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. What does Luke mean by breaking of bread? Is he referring to the celebration of the Lord's Supper? Or does he mean that they they simply shared meals together as we read there in verse 46? They broke bread in their homes. Um, The answer is yes. It's... It's both of these things. Luke, Luke did have the remembrance meal of the Lord in mind that Jesus ordained the night he was betrayed. In fact, the breaking of bread, as Luke refers to it here, that was the proper Palestinian title for the Lord's Supper. But they also took this opportunity to have a full meal together, the early church did. It's referred to as a love feast. We see this in the New Testament. And it all centered around the breaking of the communion bread in remembrance of Jesus' body given for them, symbolized in the bread that they would eat, and of course, symbolized in Jesus' blood that was spilled, right, in the wine that they would drink, symbolizing his his spilled blood for our sins. Uh, The point is this. This shows just how Christ-centered the early church was. You see, even though it had only been a few months since Jesus was crucified, They committed themselves to keeping fresh in their minds and hearts what Jesus endured on the cross, the price he paid for their sins to save them, to redeem them. If that was just a couple of months after, how much more important is it for us to be devoted to the breaking of bread a couple millennia later, right? To keeping fresh in our minds the enormity of the price that Jesus paid to free us from our sin. The, the cost of God's amazing grace poured out through his son Jesus who laid down his perfect life for us. You see, I can preach, we can preach the gospel and we hear that, but the table of the Lord, when, when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, it's, it's preaching to all of our senses the gospel because we, we're eating, we're drinking, we, we're, we smell and we see and we hear It's that most powerful illustration of what Christ has done for us. And we have the privilege to do that in just a few moments here today. Uh, But notice how they did it. Yes, they did it often, but look what it says here. They, They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Glad is not a great translation. The word translated glad, the the Greek word actually means exuberant joy. They they ate together with exuberant, exceeding joy and with sincere hearts. Really interesting word for sincere doesn't just mean honest. Uh, It was used of, of removing stones from your boot, 
the idea that it's, it's an unencumbered walk. It's you, you are together. You, there's no obstacle for you as the body of Christ. They, they had these exuberant hearts, but they also were, were single-hearted. There was no obstacle. There, there was no rough spots between them. Amazing picture of unity here. They ate together with exuberant joy, with unhindered unity. What? Praising God. Praising God. Did you remember a few weeks ago we talked about what happens? What is the resp- when the Holy Spirit comes and dwells someone, what happens? Our response is praise, <laughs> right? Praise. Praise to God. Glory to Christ through our worship and through our witness. That's the whole story of Acts. That's how the Holy Spirit works. He fills us. And the, the disciples witness to Christ. They sing his praise. That's what the early church did. Praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. By the way, Jesus said, by this all men will know you are my disciples if you love one another. That radical generosity, that love, of course they enjoyed the favor of all people because all people realize this is not normal. Look how they give to each other. Look how they look after each other's needs. Look how they help each other and serve each other. Praise God. And uh, just note the response. I, I, this is, we have to close here. Um, oh, wait, we got to cover prayer. Oh, man. Sorry, there's one more, and then we're going to close. Uh, sorry, Lord, forgive me. So they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. By the way, there's the definite article is used in the original Greek here. So it actually says they were devoted to the prayers. That's how this reads. What prayers? They were still following, the early church still followed the Jewish tradition of, of worshiping the Lord at the temple, of going three times daily for prayer, at nine, at three, and at uh, sunset. That's what this is referring to. They did that. They collectively went together as a church. They gathered to worship him in the temple, praying to God. They were committed, devoted to prayer, specifically the prayers of the church for the church. They prayed. As we read in Scripture, they prayed in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. Prayer marked their lives. And let me just say today, I am so grateful that in our services of worship that that prayer defines, is a big part of what we do. We pray. We pray because we acknowledge we cannot do this on our own. We need the Lord. And my friends, they were the perfect example of that. They needed the Lord for everything. They completely relied on him to provide every literal need they had. And so they prayed. And we must do the same. We must be a people devoted to prayer. We must be a people devoted to the word of God, to the apostles' teaching, a people committed, absolutely devoted to the fellowship, to that koinonia, that sharing life together, to the breaking of bread, the celebration, continual remembrance of Jesus' sacrifice for our sins, and to the prayers of the church for the church. We have prayer meeting here Wednesday morning, so maybe it's not the greatest time in everyone's schedule. But let me ask you, are you devoted to prayer? Are we as a church devoted to prayer? Because I, I would like to think that if, if we are and if we were, that every one of us would be there. I'd like to think if, if we were devoted to God's word, to the apostles' teaching, 
that whenever we have that chance to study God's Word together, we'd be there. Thank you for being here today. This is so, so important. This is a big part of what we do. Fellowship, it starts with being here, being committed to being here, and then to grow together, to learn together, to serve together, to serve each other, and to do this all for the glory of God by the power of the Holy Spirit. If we devoted ourselves to doing these things like the first church in the power of the Holy Spirit, I'm convinced that, in fact, if the church universal did that, no church would ever close or fall or shrink. Because as we read here, look at how it ends. The Lord added daily to their number those who are being saved. You know, it's not our work to save people. We can't do that. God calls us to be used in the process. But it's the Lord that added daily to their number those being saved. I think we need to remember this. Submit to this and commit ourselves to doing these four things in the power of the Holy Spirit. And I pray and trust if we do, when we do, the Lord will daily add to our number those being saved. He's doing that in many places throughout this world, in many different church contexts. People coming to Jesus Christ as God's people are doing what? As they're being faithful to his word, to preach it, to teach it, to live it. As they're devoted to each other in fellowship. That that serving each other as Christ served us, that that foot washing modeled ministry of Christ. As they committed themselves to the the ordinances, right? To, To the Lord's supper, to remembering his sacrifice for us, to preaching the gospel through the table. And as they committed themselves to praying to the prayers of and for the church. Jesus said, I will build my church. I will. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So may he build his church here. As we recommit ourselves to these four great commitments of the early church. Let's pray. Our gracious heavenly father. I thank you for your word. Father, I thank you that, that you have given us everything that we need for this life. You have, you have not missed giving us anything, Father, that, that we require. And so we thank you, Father, for your living and active word. We thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit to lead us into the truth of your word and to empower us to do what it says. And that is my prayer today, Lord, that we wouldn't just be hearers of the word today, but like the early church, that we would commit ourselves to doing what it says, that we would commit ourselves anew and afresh to you, to your word, to each other in fellowship, to the breaking of bread around the Lord's table, and to prayer, to praying in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests, which we do right now, Lord. Have your way. Have your way in each one of our lives. Have your way in this church. And may you receive the glory Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. our sins away slain for us 
promise made that all who come in faith find forgiveness at the cross. So we share in this bread of life, and we drink of his sacrifice as a sign of our bonds of peace around the table of the King. body of our Savior Jesus Christ torn for you. Eat and remember those that heal the death that brings us life. Paid the price to make us one. So we share in this prayer That cleanses every stain of sin shed for you. Drink and remember, He drank the cup that all may enter in to receive the life of God. So we share in this bread of life and we drink. of our bonds of grace around the table of the So with thankfulness and faith we rise to respond And to remember our call to follow in the steps of Christ As His body here on earth As we share in His suffering we proclaim come again and we'll join in the feast of heaven around the table of the King Amen For over 2,000 years, the church has been invited to the same table of our Lord Jesus, and today we are invited once again.
to remember, as we've just sung, by participating, joining together in remembering Christ's sacrifice for our sins. May we never shy away from faithfully, reverently, joyfully, affectionately remembering Jesus' sacrifice for us by partaking of these elements as we're going to do today. Um, If you have these at home, I'd encourage everyone to prepare them. Uh, Here, uh, you you can do so. There's a couple layers of thin plastic. So the first one opens up the little wafer piece, and then the second one, the juice, that we will partake symbolizing the blood of Jesus shed for us in just a moment. This is a privilege, uh, what we do here. This is a responsibility. Jesus has ordained this as the act of remembrance. And, and so we don't take it lightly. It's important to say this, that this table is, is not ours. It's, it's the table of the Lord. This is the Lord's Supper. It, it is for those people who, like the early church and, and like us here today, who have repented of our sins, surrendered in faith to Jesus Christ for forgiveness, and, and have been filled with the Spirit, receive the gift of eternal life. This is for His people, for His church to remember Him. So this is just a, a kind warning to you. If, if you're not a follower of Jesus here today, if you've not surrendered your life to Him, we would ask that you just observe this, this act of remembrance that we're going to participate in. If you have questions about it, please come speak to me or any of our leaders here today. We would love to talk to you more about that. But again, this is, this is for believers, for those who have surrendered in faith to Jesus Christ as Lord and are now obeying what he's commanded us to do in remembrance of him. So today we are going to participate in his body represented by the bread that we will eat, this, this wafer and by his blood represented by the juice that we will drink, his spilled blood for our sins. To its blessing and fellowship, all disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ, who've repented, who've committed their lives to following him, can partake in this table. Um, Let me just pronounce these words of warning here in 1 Corinthians 11. Paul says uh, a person ought to examine themselves so as not to eat or drink of the the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. And so we just want to take a few moments before we proceed, just just in in silent prayer to confess our sins to the Lord, just to to lay before him our hearts so that we can be ready and prepared to, to move forward with the Lord's Supper. Let's just join our hearts together in prayer. Our Father, we acknowledge and confess here now in your presence that we have sinned. We have fallen short of your glory, God. We are prone to evil. We've been slow to do good. 
And Father, now we, we, we confess to you our shortcomings, our offenses against you. You know how we have sinned, how often we've sinned in wandering from your ways, in wasting your gifts, in forgetting your love and your sacrifice. Lord, we've sinned against you in the things that we've thought, uh, the things we've said, things we've done and failed to do. Have mercy on us, Lord. We're sorry for the ways in which we've failed you and, and fallen short of your glory. So teach us, teach us, Lord, to, to hate evil. Cleanse us from our secret faults. Forgive us our sins. For the sake of your dear Son and our Savior, Jesus, our loving Heavenly Father, send your purifying grace into our hearts, we ask, that we may live in your light and walk in your ways according to the pattern and perfect example of our Lord and Savior, Jesus, in whose name I pray, amen. To its blessing and fellowship, koinonia. All disciples of the Lord Jesus who have repented, following Jesus in newness of life by the Spirit may come and partake, who have repented and believed in the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took a loaf of bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, saying, this is my body that is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's just join our hearts together with a word of thanksgiving. Thanks to God for the gift of his body given for us. Let us pray. Thy body given for my sake. My bread from heaven shall be, O Lamb of God, my sacrifice. Help me remember thee. Remember thee and all thy pains and all thy love to me. This will I do, my dying, dying Lord. I will remember thee. Father, help us in meek humility and with grateful hearts to honor and to remember you, Jesus, for the suffering he endured. We thank you for the price he paid for our sins. We thank you. As we partake of this bread, be honored and glorified in Jesus' name, amen. Together, let us eat this bread in remembrance of Jesus' sacrifice for us, and let us be thankful. In the same way, Jesus took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, as the Apostle Paul, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. It's a proclamation, my friends. Jesus is coming again. This is looking back to his death, his sacrificial death, and looking forward to his glorious return. 
Let us again, before we partake, just say thank you to the Lord. We can't pray enough. Let us pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for the gift of Jesus' perfect, righteous blood shed for us. Ours is the sin, but his the righteousness. Ours the guilt, but his the cleansing blood. So, Father God, we, we commit to you our lives. We thank you that our lives are hidden with you in Christ. Thank you for his blood that covers over all of our sins. And we just say and sing, oh, precious is that flow that makes us white as snow. No other fount we know, nothing but the blood of Jesus. And for this we say, thank you, God. Amen. Jesus said, this is my blood of the covenant poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. That's us, my friends. So let us drink this in remembrance that Jesus' blood was shed for you. And be thankful, be joyful. Amen. We're just going to respond this morning uh, before I pronounce a benediction with, uh, I think, a really fitting and important hymn. Uh, an old classic, Come All Christians Be Committed. Uh, this kind of sums up everything that we've been talking about today. So let's sing this from our hearts to the Lord. Come all Christians and be committed. If you're able, please stand with us as we sing this song. Come all Christians be committed to the service of the Lord, make your lives for Him more fitted, tune your hearts with one accord, come into His courts with gladness, each His sacred vows renewed, turn away from sin and sadness, be transformed with life anew. Of your time and talents give ye, they are gifts from God above, to be used by Christians freely, to proclaim His wondrous love. Come again to serve the Savior, ties and offerings with you bring, in your work with Him find favor, and with joy His praises sing. God's command to love each other is required of every man. Showing mercy to a brother mirrors His redemptive plan. In compassion He has given of His love that is divine. On the cross sins were forgiven, joy and peace are fully thine. Come in praise and adoration, all who on Christ's name believe. Worship Him with consecration, grace and love you will receive. For His grace give Him the glory, for the Spirit and the Word. And repeat 
the gospel story till all men his name have heard and repeat the gospel story till all men his name have heard amen uh, i would invite everyone to join us for a time of fellowship in the gymnasium following the service today just make your way through the doors and uh we'll look forward to that time together if you can join us or interested in joining us in, in, in that baptism class again right through those doors following the service in about five or ten minutes uh, but now receive the lord's blessing this is taken from revelation chapter one now to him who was and who is and who is to come to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father. To him, to Jesus, be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Lord bless you.